Hello, Anthony. Let me bring you up. Let's see. Uh, I don't want to send you an emoji, but I'll do that anyways. There we go. Invite to speak. Hey, Hampton, we'll bring you up. Chris. Hey. Welcome, everyone. Chris, <laughs> there we go. Dad, Dad's out of town, and now it's Uncle Ishan. Yeah. Oh, it looks like you're here early. I'm always used to calling you Furt from your Twitter handle, but looks like I wasn't sure if you're going to be able to make it that you were you're busy until half past. But welcome. So who watched WWDC? Maximilano Herman has been. I've been following you for years as you've blogged repeatedly about every year. You know what comes out on new APIs from WWDC for web developers. So I invited him to, to join us today to talk specifically about WWDC. So it's not my fault. Don't tell. It's not my fault. There are a number of new APIs that that Apple announced that were really exciting. But before we jump into that, let me just do what I call the station break. I do it here at the beginning, and then I'll do it halfway through, and then I'll do it at the end. So welcome to JavaScript Jam Live. JavaScript Jam is a podcast for front end and full stack web developers. JavaScript Jam Live is actually a continuation of something we've been doing over a year previously on Clubhouse, where it was an open mic night for anybody to raise their hand and say, hey, I want to talk about this. And anything JavaScript or web development is on topic. And we try to be as much listener driven as much as the invited speakers and panelists driven. So anyone's always free to raise their hand and we'll bring them up to the stage and they, they can speak. But the topic today and the reason we invited you was WWDC. I think about three episodes ago, I bemoaned the lack of relevance for web developers for Google I.O. and WWDC. And Google I.O. proved me wrong with a, a bunch of exciting new updates. And WWDC proved me wrong with a bunch of new updates, including Web Push. So with that, why don't I turn it over to you? I don't know if you prefer, and actually, do you prefer Max or Max in honor? Why do you prefer I do? Max is Max. fine. I know it's a love thing, <laughs> so Max is fine. Oh, okay. And Max? Actually, you and I, in, in Spanish, it's typically Max, okay. but in English, it's typically Max, okay. yeah. And you and I think met in person finally at JS MobileCom a couple of years ago where we were both speaking. Bro, that was in Chicago? It was in Boston in 2017 Boston. or 2018. You're certainly well known in terms of every time there's a new beta, you look at the APIs in detail, you look for bugs and not just what they claim they support. And so you've got a lot of extensive expertise in history here. So what were your immediate reactions coming to WWDC? I've looked at a few videos, I looked at some of the announcements, I looked at some of your coverage, but why don't we just start with you telling us what you thought from WWDC as it relates to web developers? Okay. So let's see. So first we have expectations. So we can... Talk about the expectations. So it's difficult to say what we were expecting as web developers. That typically WWDC is not for web developers and the amount of time that they spend talking about the web is typically short. And this year, the keynote in particular was actually, I think even shorter than previous years in terms of Safari and web development. In fact, I think I measured that. It's what, three minutes and 11 seconds <laughs> from the one hour and 50 minutes, which is less than other WWDCs. And so from that sort of thing, it was short. And in terms of what they said, 
there, we have maybe two big news. One that has to do with Safari and the user interface, so not for developers, that has to do with sharing tabs with different people when you are in a share session. But yeah, that's not the JavaScript API, so it's something on the user interface. From a web developer's point of view, maybe the biggest news was not actually push, and I will get into push in a minute, but this new idea of replacing password with, with a new standard, okay, that if you have a login page, you can make like small changes in your website and start accepting the new idea that stop using passwords. But anyway, that was like the news. But before those news, there were like 20 seconds where they said that they were the, like the browser implementing more APIs. They were talking about the HTML5 video, that they were the first one supporting that because of the lack of Flash. If you remember that, the, the fight between Steve Jobs and Adobe at the time with the iPhone not supporting Flash. But anyway, in the list, they even say that they were supporting a lot of standards in the past year, and they mentioned a couple, and they mentioned Web Push. And on the screen, we saw Web Push standards as part of one of the technologies that they were supporting the last year. And the first reaction to that was weird because that's a lie. We know that push is not there yet. And they didn't announce push actually during the keynote. So it was just that mention saying that, yeah, we did that, right? Anyway, the good news is that after the keynote, for the first time, I would say, that we had over the next hour, a blog post, Safari release notes. Also, we have the Safari team tweeting about this and also interacting on tweets, which is new. Okay, and if you take all, all those actions, we did have some announcements, including web push. But there is like a big web. So web push was not announced for iOS yet. So WebPush was announced only for macOS Ventura, not even for Big Sur or <laughs> from Big Sur and beyond. So only for Ventura. And then yesterday in one of the sessions, the WWDC sessions, that it's available now for free, they explain why in terms of why they, you will need to have Ventura for having WebPush. But anyway, the only thing about iOS, and that's what we were actually expecting from the PWA world, is that they promise next year. So they actually confirm that Web Push will be available on iOS and iPadOS, but next year. We don't know exactly when, if that's iOS 17 or even further away. Okay. After that, what I can say to maybe close the Web Push situation, see if you have any questions. The Web Push implementation is the standard one, so you don't need to pay the Apple Developer Program. If you are using if you are using Web Push in your website, it should work, but it's a little limited. For example, notifications that you receive from websites will ignore your icon, your custom icon. It will be the Safari icon. Okay. Oh. So compare with Chrome notifications on Chrome or Firefox, it's a more limited specification, at least at this version. And that information is coming from uh, tweets. Actually, I was asking about this and I got replies maybe for the first time from the WebKit team about these situations. And they confirmed that, for example, the icon is ignored and many of the custom additional things that you can add to a notification are being ignored. 
So it's just, you can just put a title, a message, and it's going to be the Safari icon, at least as of today. And macOS Ventura only. Wow. Okay. I didn't notice that thing about the icon. I did watch the section, but that's yet another way that the web feels like it plays sometimes second fiddle against native uh, applications on the device in the ecosystem. One, so we should get to the passwords thing because there's more than just one push. There's a bunch of things they announced that I thought was really exciting. Even things like CSS things like container query support. And if you have like inert elements and I was like, I don't even touch CSS normally. I'm like terrible at it. And I was like, oh, I can see how this is useful. But before we get to that, web push has been the headline feature. But I agree, login with passwords is useful. Why do you think they finally have saved to support it? I mean, caved is not the right word, but like, why are they supporting web push now? Why not earlier? Do you have a sense of um, driving that? Maybe, yeah, it's difficult to have the real reason. We can like talk about a couple of reasons. It's everything is a speculation here. Yeah. But you know that on many countries, Apple is receiving a lot of legal pressure. And even Apple itself last year in, I think it was in Australia, in, in, in court, they actually mentioned PWA for the first time. Apple, Apple lawyers of this, I'm showing that they're not a monopoly or the app store is not actually monopolic because you have PWAs. And I think there is a pressure on that side, legal pressure on that side. And also we've seen lately in the past probably six months, how the Safari team is trying to fight against the idea that Safari is the new IE. Uh, they are doing efforts on that side. And I think it's part of the same situations. They are hiring more people as well for Safari. I'm not sure if they're actually, if they, if Apple wants this or not, but anyway, it seems like it's happening slowly, but it's happening. So we are seeing some changes on that side. It's true that Safari is releasing more versions over the year. In fact, the CSS updates or many of the updates that you mentioned, such as Nerd, were actually shipped not with 16, but with 15.x. So we actually had 15, 15, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 in the past year. And many of the new CSS things that you saw in the, maybe in the session, or there is a new, so what's new in Safari and WebKit session, many of those new things, HTML things and CSS things, were actually already shipped. So they're not for 16. They are already there in, oh, really? in iOS to 15.4, 15.5. I remember seeing lazy load images and I remember being like, yeah. haven't shipped yet? I thought they already supported it. Okay, so that makes sense then. So, you know, if their hand is being forced here or if they really want I know you've been really good about categorizing, shall we say, what I'd call incomplete support. Like, officially the API is there, officially you can use it, but to pragmatically and practically use it as a developer, there's like a gap. Like your, let's say icon is a good example. Like that you brought with push notifications, not the favicon for your website. There are things where like you, you could install the same PWA multiple times and you get 40 instances of the service worker. They're all independent of each other and they don't really fully behave like apps. Is that still the case now with like PWA, PWA API support in general? Or do you feel like well, it's better in that dimension? On iOS, it's still the case. The thing is that I'm not saying that that's bad per se. Yeah. It's different from the other browsers. The first situation that we have is that Apple never documented that. So that means that they can change that on every version. In fact, they have already changed that many times without actually saying a word about that. Yeah. But that situation that a PWA in iOS, 
it's just an icon. I'm not sure if, but probably the audience will not know the internals of iOS, but I actually dig into that. And there is an XML actually in the OS with all the icons in the home screen. And a, a web app or a PWA is just mentioned there pointing to another XML and the XML has the URL. Actually, that's all. And there is a, also a random ID that is generated inside. But yeah, you can add the same PWA multiple times because from an Apple point of view, it's, there is a UF, UX issue there because if it's just a web clip, it's just a, like a bookmark to a website, but then it's an app as, as, at the same time. And I think that's the problem for push because yeah, Apple promised push for iOS and iPadOS next year, but I'm not sure that would work with installed PWAs. And in fact, we asked that to the WebKit team and the answer is that like, uh, we need to wait for next year. So like, they don't have an answer, a public answer for us at this point. The thing is that if they don't change the PWA implementation in the operating system, it might be actually really challenging to implement web push for PWAs. Because think about this. So you are in Safari, you grant a permission to push. Right now, at Safari level, the permission goes to the origin, right? To, the, to your domain. And when you receive a push message, actually the OS will wake up the service worker registered for that OS. When you install a PWA in the home screen on iOS and iPadOS, you will have a different service worker registration. And if you install the same PWA a couple of times, you will end up with several service worker registrations. So meaning that when you receive a push message from one origin, what's the service worker that is going to be executed? All of them, one of them, will Apple allow developers to send multiple messages to the same device? I don't think that makes sense. I think that the options here are that iOS will support push only on Safari. Or, and the other option is that maybe they invest in actually upgrading or making the PWA implementation better. I don't know. So we need to wait. So I just want to underscore for the audience the importance of what you're describing and, and the work, the importance of the work you do. Like you actually go and try the APIs and document how they're not sometimes usable or they are usable, but in what ways that actually matter for you to incorporate them into your app. So what you're describing right now is a situation where you might install a PWA and get a push notification from that site. And then you click on it rather than going to the PWA just to install, it opens a web browser. It's if I installed the Facebook app and I got a notification that somebody sent me a message and I click on it and it took me to Facebook on in Safari rather than Facebook the app. Yeah, with another problem. There is another problem there that in the browser, you might have a different session. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great point. And so the notification doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so it's like an example of on paper, the API support is there, but is it actually usable pragmatically for developers to build an experience around? Maybe, maybe limited. So with that in mind, before we leave, I'll open up to other folks on the panel or folks to raise their hand and feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you up to the stage to speak. But the question I just want to ask you before we do that is if you take Chrome on mobile devices, let's say, call it a hundred percent, where do you think Apple's coverage of PWAs and APIs that matter? So weight more heavily, the ones that are more interesting or have more demand like web push. Again, so maybe some of the less more esoteric ones don't read as highly. What percentage to 
comparable coverage or a TWA does, does Apple have with what they've at least promised us in iOS 16? Are they at 20%? Are they at 50%? Are they three quarters of the way? What, what does that gap feel like to you? Very, it's a very subjective question. Yeah, but that, are you talking about API support or market share? I'm talking about API support. If I'm a developer, okay. I so, feel like, well, PWA is a viable route for me. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. How good is Apple support compared to Chrome? But yeah, it's probably at 50%, I would say. Because it's not just supporting the API. It's also, for example, the ability to debug and see what's going on. For example, service workers. Debugging service workers and the lifecycle on iOS is it's almost impossible. You don't have a web inspector on Safari that doesn't have a way to inspect your asset, for example, like the application cache library. You don't have that. So they didn't invest in adding that. Even if they have that tool for Web SQL, even that is current deprecated, is yeah, we added the service worker, okay, and it's your problem. No, so they're not helping the developer to actually find bugs or even submit bugs to them because you don't know what's going on. Also, another quick sample on that is that it seems like from 15.2, iOS 15.2, they are supporting persistent storage API where you can actually request persistent storage so then the browser will not clear the data that you are stored. But if it's working or not, the API is there. We don't know if it's working. There is no way to tell if it's working or not. And yeah, they didn't say a word about that. So it's like maybe the API is there, but it's like there is a lack of communication with developers. And maybe it's a lack of resources or lack of interest. I don't know. But I think that the gap is, is big. In fact, talking about with a lot of developers and companies, that lack of support from Apple, it's probably the biggest challenge today in the PWA world. A lot of companies from a business point of view, a lot of companies typically say no to the PWA platform because they think they're going to invest that, invest in, in a platform where then on iOS, you, they don't know if it's going to work. They don't have a, they don't feel a commitment from Apple to make it work. We find bugs many times and then it takes months, if not years, to get those bugs solved. Maybe this is changing. Okay. I'm not there yet. I'm not seeing like the big change yet, but we'll see. I think that web push will definitely help in that business situation. Most companies will say, okay, we have web push then. Okay. Let's see if we can implement this, but it's a still a promise. And we are not sure if it's going to be fulfilled or not. Chris, I think you have your hand up. I'll open up. I know I've been asking a lot of questions, but anybody in the audience, feel free to raise your hand. Happy to bring you to the stage or any of the speakers. Chris, go ahead. Yeah, I have a not a strong opinion about this, but an opinion that I don't think it's ever really going to change. And if it does change, it's only going to get more hostile to the open web. And I bring up this example of payment requests. A payment request is basically that fancy button where you click it, when you go to checkout, it says, do you want to pay with Apple Pay or Google Pay? And Google Pay, it's super easy. They just accept it. Any browser, any Chromium browser, they go, you can do Google Pay no matter what problem. But then with Apple, you have to install a third-party file onto your website, meaning that there's an extra layer of security there. But the, the worst thing about that security is that they say, this is good for the people. Okay, sure. But the worst thing about it is that you have to have an Apple account that 
is a paid developer. You've gone through that certification and you've got this certificate. Most people actually just get about around this by using authenticated certificate. But it's one of these things where if they really want to up for, uh, open up full potential as like really good notification support, I think they'll just block it behind certificates and all these other things, meaning the walled garden is all very hard to get out of. And my final point is not really a hot take, but why would they do it when they can take a 30% cut of everything that goes through that? So we should just give folks just some background on your background in, uh, in the payment space, Chris. Why don't you just tell people about everfunding what we do, just for context? Yeah, I work in nonprofit donations. So we're helping nonprofits take payments easier on, online. And the biggest thing about it is that most, most payment platforms that are out there right now for nonprofits don't have these things like Apple Pay, Google Pay, and the latest standards and standard technology. So actually adding them in is a really big deal to our customers. And it just shows that barrier is so big to the normal person. It's like, how do I get Apple Pay on my website? In the nonprofit industry, it's quite a big barrier. So I'm going to defend them a little bit here in that they have said you do not need an Apple developer account. You probably need to register with some in some form or not or for WebFush, but they have said it won't be charged for and you don't need a developer account. For I need we should move on and talk about the passwordless authentication. By the times you need to talk to what they call an, an issuer, but that could be multiple third parties, like your hosting provider or your CDN, at least potentially. But I hear what you're saying on payments. Yeah. I think the only thing I can add about the push notifications is yeah. that they could purposefully have you not get shown all the information. So they could say, oh, look, we're going to enable it for everybody where you don't need an Apple account. But if you want that rich text present that looks like a default iOS app, for example, that's when you need an Apple account. So I think there's still ways around it. And obviously the main use case is security. I totally get that but i think that apple's never going to commit to the free web when they're taking a 30 percent cut hot takes done there's an episode of javascript jam where we had the of the podcast prop where we had the husband and wife team who coined the term pwa and we talked a little bit about this so i'd recommend you guys go to that episode i'll pull up with it one of the things i only said was apple is a large company maybe we shouldn't describe a single motivation when there are probably multiple competing interests within the company that they're trying to settle and figure out there are probably some folks inside who are committed to open web and some folks inside who are like, it's a resourcing thing. And from a shareholder perspective, why should we invest in something that will potentially hurt our revenue? Um, so that, that makes sense. I'm going to get you that. That was episode number 12, actually, where we had Alex and Francis on the future PWAs. Oh, looks like we had somebody else. Eric, let's bring you up. Eric, what did you want to, to chime in on this about? I'll give you another second to come off mute. Otherwise, I'll keep going. So... Before we move off of web push, I do wonder, Max, what do you think it says that we've noticed over the couple of years as noted, we don't get proper announcements about Safari release. We get, sorry, we get change logs, we, yeah. but it's not on stage. We do get video. So there are dedicated sessions and it's sometimes these things are communicated in side channels, in tweets, and so they don't get full billing. What are, what should we interpret from that? Is that 
to get the sense of, again, the web play second fiddle or how should folks interpret that? Right? Have you seen improvement over the last? Yeah, I've seen an improvement. Yeah, it's still, I think it's not 100% if you compare that with what Firefox is doing or Google is doing, it's still far away. They say it has to do with resources, but yeah, Firefox is not a big company and is they're making a, like a better job. Even today that they have a blog post and the WebKit blog post and another technical note. When you get deep into that note, they don't have all the details there. So like, for example, the icon. And when you see a web.dev article from Google or MDN article from, from many vendors there, they are trying to get deep on every question that developers may have. And here is, we are answering a couple of questions, not all of them. I'm not sure if it's, they think that's enough or again, they don't have more resources and it's what they can do. And they're waiting for more resources. I don't have the answer there. We are seeing an improvement. So finally, after years and years of complaining, they listened and they are trying to make a change. Yeah, that's my take on, on that. Okay. Just to let you know, I will need to leave in two minutes, folks. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will say I've noted that Jen Simmons is very active asking for him, but what are the big things that you would highlight besides web push that folks should check out? No, I think the password thing, it's, it's a new paradigm for the web that will increase security. And it's not actually like a big deal from an implementation point of view. You need to make changes, but not really huge changes, but it will improve a lot phishing and also logins and will actually faster. And I think that's pretty cool. It's also multi-platform. So actually you implement that and it will work also with security keys on Android or Chrome or Windows. Hello on Windows. So it's a multi-platform effort. And I think that Apple pushing it in a very nice way and with a very simple UX. I'm not sure if you saw the video, but actually when you get into a website supporting this, you will just, of course, log in with Face ID or Touch ID. And we have that today. But anyway, when you are doing that, there is a there is like a token that we are sending. It's like a standard login with something on top of that. With this new idea, we are not going to save a password server side. So we are replacing the password with a public key. So your iCloud will store the private key. So on every device uh, that you have with the Apple security thing, you have the private key and then the public key will be sent to your server so you can actually check that. So even if someone is stealing data from your servers, the public key by itself is completely useless. So I think that's a new paradigm. But again, it's not Apple only, but it's something I think that Apple making a nice UX for that will push developers into implementing that change. And that will be good for the future of the web. Very cool. Thank you for taking the time to join us and, uh, you know, keep being active on online on Twitter. Let us, letting us know the new out, output coming out of WWDC and for PWAs in general. Sure. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. I don't know how many people have seen the video he's referring to in terms of private access tokens and pass keys, but basically the, just for the audience, the new feature they're allowing is this ability to log in with your sign in with Apple. And it's got some really cool user experience benefits. So you get this thing like a pass key. So think of it like if you book a flight, you get a pass that goes into your wallet that you can use to, when you board for your boarding pass. Imagine if that stored, not just to be your passwords, but something that was more secure. It was a token or a placeholder for your password without actually being the password. 
and it's got some nice affordances. So for example, you can share it with somebody else. So you can share it without actually sharing the password. You can share that token. You can actually go to a friend's computer and you can log in with your token without typing your password, give it your ID, and then your phone gets pinged. And then you scan a QR code and then it lets you in without ever having to give up your password and then temporarily log in. It's really cool from an authentication perspective. And I was really impressed at how thought through the user experience was. With that, let me pause and see if anybody else paid attention to WWDC and had some thoughts coming out of it. Oh, it looks like Hampton. Uh, I know you were talking about WWDC. I'll pull you back. You will push back to listener. I'll bring you back up. There we go. Those are the things that I thought were really interesting coming out of WWDC. There are a couple of things, as he mentioned, that were highlighted that had already shipped, like lazy loading of images, container for, there are some really, I don't play on CSS, but the has pseudo selector, I think was, I can totally know plenty of times where I've wanted to use that. Basically it lets you check parents and siblings and children for certain properties on a particular element rather than having to get to that element directly. So I'd find that definitely be more productive. There's a file system API support uh, where each domain effectively hits its own private file system. And then one that makes a lot of sense, but I wouldn't have thought of the, you get a system of viewport units in CSS that are relative and change as the viewport changes in Safari. So as in Safari, sometimes the bottom tab bar that has your navigation sometimes disappears in the the top URL bar sometimes decreases. And so the viewport size is actually not fixed. It's actually changing a lot. So they have viewport units that accommodate for that. And you can lay out your CSS with those things in mind to make sure critical things are not obscured or hidden. Um, I know this happens to me a lot with some of the sites I use. I go to tap on a button and that button's at the bottom of the page and I actually just bring up the, the navigation bar. And I've started to come back to that page and a few hours later and be like, I thought I could submit and it turns out I had not. I had actually just brought up the bottom bar and then a context change happened and I moved on. So I think that's potentially helpful for a lot of folks. We are at the halfway point. Sorry, we'll do my station break. Welcome folks to JavaScript Live. If it's your first time here, JavaScript Jam is a podcast for front-end and full-stack developers. JavaScript Jam Live is our open mic that we hold every week for everything JavaScript or web dev related. It is entirely audience-driven, so feel free to raise your hand and say, hey, here's something I want to talk about. It doesn't have to be something on the agenda. We love it when we're audience-driven as much as possible. And uh, if you're getting value out of anybody here, feel free to uh, follow them online on Twitter very easily right here from within the Twitter interface. And whether you're a beginner or an expert, we want to hear from you. So don't feel intimidated that you have to be an expert on something. In fact, we like when beginners come and ask questions or jump in or and pause us and say, wait, 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 that thing you said, I don't know what that is. Because very often if you've got a question, somebody else does as well. Okay, with that, if there's nobody else wants to chat about WRBC, uh, there are a few other things that happened over the course of this week that were really interesting. So the one that caught my eye was, and if other folks saw this, somebody made a JavaScript powered game but they did it inside Microsoft Word. I know folks have seen that. Let me see if I can get the YouTube video for that and see if I can share it here. And let's see, how do I do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. I can see your reaction, Brad. I will, I think there's a way that I can add a link here in settings. I'll have to find that. But basically it turns out, and I didn't realize this, 
Microsoft Word is extensible. And I think if you just Google the titles, I made a game in Microsoft and it's user's devlog. And he, it turns out that you can automate a lot of things in Microsoft Word and you can lay things out in a table because Microsoft Word has tables. And then he used that to move a GIF image around the screen. And then he was able to put a background image on the document. And then he could move these GIFs around in these documents and he could get keyboard input with the arrow keys working. And he was actually able to build a very simple JavaScript powered game. And the fun part of the video is him like going through and it's only four minutes long, but you get the time-lapse view of him building it because he recorded, I guess, the entire process. And you can see him being like, okay, what's this? Oh, it turns out it has to be base 64 encoded. But he's doing all these hacks just to get this to work, but he powered through and delivered it. So it's a really interesting testament to a determined developer. Eric, what were you going to say? No, that I only saw that because you put that in the potential notes for this episode or whatever this is. Yeah. And, and I loved how much it reminded me of when I was first learning to program and to put a sprite at this X and Y coordinates and then move it when the key pressed to over this X and Y coordinate. And it was just going all the way back to when I was a kid and learning how to program. And I thought that was really, really cool. And also I have to love people who figure out, oh, there's this way that I can modify this thing to do a thing that it was never supposed to do. I'm going to spend eight hours make bending it to my will to make this silly little thing that no one's ever going to play. But it's just that cool of a, um, like it goes to the core of what it means to be a developer, in my opinion. I think you really put the finger on, I had not reflected on it in that way, but that's exactly, I think, why it resonates with me. It's again, that fun of, I remember at the beginning building something and that fun of actually saying, oh, here's, here's a weird way I can contort this and see, would this be cool? There's a, yeah, go ahead. And not to, not with the goal of monetization or anything like that. It's just, what can I do with this? to entertain myself. Like these days now you, I'm presumably that YouTube video is monetized or whatever, but like he wasn't doing it for, I think even if he didn't record himself, he probably would have wanted to scratch that itch anyway. And I think that's what's cool about what it is that we do. Like it's just fun to be able to manipulate the world. Yeah, I'm reminded of, he, he did it for the intellectual curiosities. The, right. I, and it reminds me of the very first computer game was built, I forgot the name is, but it was built by a bunch of, I think there were a bunch of folks at MIT and they were just bored and they were like, hey, could we make a game? And that was like one of the first computer games ever built. Another example I'm reminded of is um, one of the creators of Unix, I believe, and his Turing Award, which is the computer science equivalent of the Nobel Prize, he talked about as young programmers, they would give them each other coding challenges. And one of the challenges was, could you write a program that its output is its own source code, which in a sense is actually a precursor for sadly a computer virus. It was for the, the thrill or the interest intellectually and not for any particular end goal. And so it was very exciting to watch and interesting. Yeah, I imagine those of us that came to this as children, I think we all probably built some kind of a stupid little game. If it was just like a, like that old Nokia phone game with a snake that eats 
pebbles and gets bigger or whatever. But like games is what attracts kids to this industry. The easier. So I think we should keep that in mind that the easier we make it to build games, the the more people we're going to attract. And it's a really good insight. Sorry, go ahead. Go on. No, what comes to mind is, is Roblox is currently like doing really freaking well. Like they just IPO'd or whatever. And my nine-year-old son is super in, into that. And the fact that they have this sort of open API slash app store that can, you can build your own game and other people will play it is I think in 15 years, I think a lot of the people leading our industry are going to refer back to, oh yeah, I started with Roblox. Oh, wow. Okay. Now I want you to go a little, I want to double click on this for a second because it's personally relevant. I remember as a kid coding a game on my TI calculator and I don't even know, I know Roblox exists and I have a 10 year old and they've been interested in downloading games. We're a little, maybe too strict. What is that? coding environment like and you think it's really what age do you think people can get their kids potentially interested in what level just give us like the three minute overview of what it's like sure that's it so i started with a my my son got a a coding in roblox book for christmas or whatever oh i think i locked up nope i can still hear okay okay no okay and uh, and i went through it with him with the first chapter or two and it was all about this is what strings are and this is what arrays are and this is like the whole uh, okay uh, so the languages in which i had never used but it okay but it reads it to any professional programmer like it reads super easily and it, it went through starting to like, it was just like the console logs at the beginning but it was explaining what how to concatenate strings and how to, this is a variable and now you can add to that variable. And to be honest, my nine-year-old who is um, biased, but he's pretty good at math and clever in most things, just wasn't attracted to that yet. He hasn't been bitten by what that is that pulls you into like wanting to build a thing. But apparently you can, like, it's a pretty sophisticated system. And the idea behind Roblox is they figured out a way to to have this open sort of API system where anyone can build a game and then you can publish this game on basically what is an app store. Like I haven't used it that much, but my son is constantly playing different games and it's all like online multiplayer, like by default. And I don't know, it's like... Minecraft, if it was open to, I know Minecraft has mods and stuff, but it, but Roblox, I think it is just embracing that culture of remixing and whatnot to make new games. And like, apparently they, they've got an apple super strict on what can be like, you can't have your own app store, but apparently snuck under the, under their radar and is deemed acceptable. And at this point, I think if Apple shut Roblox down, they would have, I think they have, Roblox has enough fans that Apple would, um, in the same way that that when they were fighting with Facebook and Facebook, Facebook was like, oh, we can just pull our apps off your platform. And Apple was like, okay, I see that you that were, that, that, that we can't compete with that. So many people 
have iPhones to use Facebook. But so anyway, it's, I think Roblox is this open platform that, uh, that I think people can make games for. And I think you can actually like monetize like a game that's interesting enough. And like you have this 3D environment built in. If you can be creative and make a thing that's enough people, like if enough people want to play digital cornhole or whatever you want to invent, I think you can make money on that platform, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah, user map setting games have really led the way for a lot of development progression. Like it, it started really back with StarCraft. StarCraft was one of the original ones that actually spawned into a ton of other games. When TensorFlow released, StarCraft II was one of the first to allow deploying TensorFlow algorithms to allow you to essentially graphically interface TensorFlow with StarCraft II. Minecraft had a big push in this. I actually did that with the games implementing like a different Web3 tokens using mine. Same thing with Unity. But kids have definitely taken that approach of if they can get started and there's someone to help them walk through the early stages, these game development platforms are really leading the way on education and keeping people entertained. It has excellent uh, ways for kids to get started with C-sharp and to start to build out a game and uploading your sprites and animating them and going through the whole process of creating logic. Uh, Minecraft did a really good job with this as well. And Roblox is, they're taking the user map setting approach. And I think that's really interesting that they allow you to monetize it. Definitely, definitely, it's cool to see it happen. But it, it's funny how more seasoned engineers not really paying as much attention to the games. They've lost their interest in that area. Whereas these early kids are getting into it and they're actually making pretty good money. They're making unique applications inside of other apps. and getting a lot of great exposure to concepts that would be very difficult to achieve without a platform to start with. Indeed. Uh, I'm glad that there's a name for those, for that thing. Thank you for more than I do. Um, yeah, that's how I got started. I got started with StarCraft back in the day, and that was one of the big things. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Dota or League of Legends. Those both came from StarCraft. Those were user map setting games that originally were on the StarCraft platform that branched into their own games that are now on Unreal Engine and Unity and so on and so forth. So it, wow. it had spawned some big all-time hits. But what would you guys say is Eric for Roblox and Daniel for StarCraft? Or You mentioned Unity. What's the age at which you could start somebody on? Because what, can you give it to an eight-year-old or? Yeah, I started with Colin when he was around eight doing Unity. I, I also like, we've done games on like Oculus. I, I'm always willing to like branch into it. Like I showed them like how to port games from Unity to Nintendo Switch. We built like characters for Smash Brothers before. So it's really the attention span. The parent definitely has to do a lot of heavy lifting the earlier they are. But once they get into it, they're usually pretty hooked. Yeah, it's a matter of how much time you want to dedicate to time and passion you want to show for this in order to encourage that. But also in my parenting experience, like if the kid doesn't have a, that spark that makes them want to create a thing, no matter how much energy you put into it, it's not going to go anywhere. Like you have to, it has to come from inside them somehow. And like I've heard stories of people that didn't get into that that didn't happen for them until they were eighteen or, or twenty five or whatever. But but for some people, it's like at age seven they're like trying to build little board games or whatever. So it's it's entirely. I don't think you can force that on anyone. Is my yeah. 
Yeah. With my oldest son, I had to start him with Photoshop, actually. Like he wanted to like make things for games. I got him designing sprites in Photoshop and teaching him that. And then he went, he was like, how do I actually get it to move? And then showing him how to use like sprite generators and animation. And then it started to get into, okay, now I want to actually put some stuff together. And I feel like as time has gone on, it's hit him in the face. It's, wow, this is so overwhelming what's involved to create from scratch. But when it came to Minecraft, creating items, creating monetary systems inside of there, he's had a blockchains before that specifically interface with Minecraft. And he likes doing those things. But when the project gets too involved, they lose attention very quickly. If it's too much for an eight or nine or 10 year old, then you as an engineer, like when that when you've hit that point and you have to walk them through it and keep going back to it or trying to resurface the interest because they will just fall out of it. And also it, it can backfire. If you push really hard, then they can reject it. And oh so yeah, I'm a big fan of, I'm like, I don't have any results to report, but I know of some anecdotes of if you want your kid to be a developer like you are, it's best to just wait until they say in the delay till it it occurs to them to be like so what is it that you do all day or whatever and then you can start explaining but if you try and force it on them i think that might back it definitely does i've had like points where he's dropped out for a whole year like he's just nope not interested it's overwhelming and then he'll come back to it but it's interesting because i'm not an engineer anymore by drape on the marketing side so he doesn't ever hear me talk about engineering except for like when i'm interested in a concept and when I started to get into like how they use it in games or how I get you know, use it really for anything or when I'm explaining a movie to him or whatever it might be, he really connects to it. And now that he understands like the concept of creating logic, like it doesn't just exist. And I think that's a fundamental thing that all kids should really learn is that this stuff doesn't just happen. You have to create it. It's abstract thinking and creative and there's more to it than just numbers and digits. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's a basic skill to at least have that awareness. It reminds me of Scratch, which is one of those precursors of what you described with Eric with Roblox. If they've built a full community around it and a whole system, a whole platform, so to speak. Would you recommend that book you mentioned? And if so, what's the title of it? I didn't mention a book. Oh, no, I'm talking. No, I did. I did. Let me find that and I will mention it shortly. Okay. Yeah, but it definitely needs to be something intrinsic to to the kid or at least self-motivation. I, I know in my own experience, I don't think my parents pushing me would have would have helped, but you never know. I remember when he, my dad was, well, not a software engineer, he was an electrical engineer. We asked him what he did and he thought he couldn't explain it. So he just said, I go to work. <laughs> and so that was the answer. And I didn't find out until years later. Oh, exactly. An engineer. But always curious about ways I can get them potentially interested or connected. So I've, I'm feeling like I'm pushing. I found the book in, in, in one direction or the other. I also want them to do whatever comes natural to them. But I would like to have that life skill that you're referring to, Daniel, of just understanding that. So the book is called, we are, Hello. you've got basically just a few minutes left and I have a hard stop. I hear you, Eric. I, I don't think he's on break. Okay. There are a couple of things I did want to chat about, but I don't have time to fit them in. Probably the next most interesting thing to me was the somebody tweeted from the next that you'll be able to use static site generation with React server components. So I'm really curious to see what they do with that. Maybe we'll have more details next week when we can talk about it then. In the meantime, this has been JavaScript Jam Live. This is the open mic. Hello. Okay. Everyone quiet. What was the book, Eric? Yeah. For those of you that can hear me, it's called 
The Advanced Roblox Coding Book, an unofficial guide by Heath Haskins. Perfect. I'll send it over to Heath in case he can't hear you. Yeah, I tweeted once about it, but I just did a Google image search and typed in Roblox. And of course, the photo that I took of the book, like it had already OCR'd and could find it, which is amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. I didn't realize they had opened it up. So that's awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out. Okay, I guess I'll close this out for in on his behalf. It, it's been fun. All right, take care, everybody. <laughs> okay, bye, everybody.